So today, I want to talk about something a little bit different. I, you know, I remember as a child, there were moments where I thought I was cooler than anybody else. And it was in those moments, the reason I felt so cool was because I had a secret. And nobody else knew it, or obviously the person that told me, okay? But nobody else knew my secret. And it's funny how when I had the information, I felt in some way superior. And in no way was I, but because I knew just a little bit more than somebody else, I felt a little bit more superior than I probably should. And you know, if we're honest, we're all sort of kind of wired this way. And, you know, I, I did that as a child, but if I'm honest, I kind of still feel that way now. Oh, I know something, right? And, and maybe you can relate. You know, recently, my children have started to experience this feeling of superiority when it comes to knowing more. So I was, I was in my office, and one of my children uh, runs into the office and says, Daddy, do you want me to tell you what I got you for Christmas? I said, yes. What did you get? She says, I can't tell you. It's a secret. And then my middle child, who will remain nameless, ran out of the room giggling. Because she knew something that I didn't know, and she felt like she had a moral superiority over me. You know, it's funny how much power are in secrets. Did you know the Bible is full of secrets? Some are easy to uncover and, you know, they're, they're for us to, to figure out so we can better our lives as we grow towards God. Others, I've learned, are, are meant to remain a secret. And that's just God's way of saying how much you continue to love him. I will not answer this, but trust me, I love you. And, and there are secrets like that. And then there are some secrets that God wants us to uncover, but it's going to actually require us to search for them. It's going to require us to make an effort so we can learn what God wants us to learn. And today I, I want to focus on a secret that I believe God very much wants us to uncover. And, and when we do so, I believe we will find true peace in him like he calls us to. So the title of my sermon today is, Do You Want to Know a Secret? Is it bad that the first song that pops in my head is from like the 50s? It goes, do you want to know a secret? Promise not to tell. No. Good. None of you know that. Amen. We're moving on. But the goal of today's lesson is to unlock the secret that I believe can not only set us on a good path, but keep us on that path for the rest of our lives. But we have to make the decision that we are going to hold on to this and we are going to apply it as we move forward. So today's focus will be uncovering the secret of true contentment. This is a scripture we know well, and we'll dive into it here in a few moments. But to speak plainly, I believe too often our life is filled with many highs and many lows. And for this reason, I believe our emotions can often go in a pattern of extremes. We're going up, we're going down, we go sideways, and, and eventually our bodies just can't take all the movement that's going on because we are not in a good place emotionally. And when that happens, what can happen to us is we can become overreactive to things that, if we're honest, are not that big a deal. 
But because of our emotional states, we blow them out of proportion and become less of who God intended us to be just because we were following our emotions. My hope today is that we can understand God's calling for us, his love, his mercy, his gentleness, and ultimately the true contentment that he wants us to have as we give everything to him. You know, a few years ago, my, my, myself, my mom, and my sister, we ventured out to uh, Universal Studios, and we wanted to see Harry Potter Land. And, well, my sister did, and we thought it would be fun. So we went, we went to Harry Potter Land, and, and I thought, okay, I, I can do the big kid thing. And as we walked around the park, there was this line for uh, one of the rides, and it was a ride in which you, you kind of take a tour of Hogwarts. And so I was like, cool, we'll get in a car, we'll kind of casually go around, see what they spent their money on, this will be great. Technically, that was true, but it wasn't as peaceful of a ride as I thought it was going to be. So you get in, and they they strap you in, and your feet are dangling from the floor. This was my first sign that I was in trouble. (laughs) And then you take off. And probably 30 seconds into the ride, we're upside down. And we're going sideways, we're being jolted, and I I think I blacked out for a good portion of it. And I just remember waking up, with my eyes squinting, is it over? And trying to hold on to something as I get off the ride because I had just been tossed and thrown so many different directions. I I just couldn't, it could have been a year. I didn't know it. I mean, all time stopped. I just wanted it to end. And I remember getting off and my sister getting going, so what's next? And I just thought, I want to go home. Like, (laughs) I don't don't want to do this. Emotionally, this roller coaster had thrown thrown me all over the place. That I was just done. And you know, it's interesting because I started to think of the, the spiritual ramifications when we're on a roller coaster emotionally. When we get tossed and thrown, and especially if that's not our thing, uh, we don't get excited about moving on with life. In fact, we do the opposite. I just want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. And so I think what we've got to understand spiritually is we have to make every effort to be content with God. Because if we allow our emotions to throw us on these highs and lows, the first person that's going to take a backseat, if not be kicked off the ride altogether, is going to be God. Because you will know not what to do with your time. And so, you know, I looked at an example and we're going to, I was so nervous. I had my fingers crossed as Josh shared because he stopped at the very verse that I'm going to continue on today. Thank the Lord we didn't do the same thing, but amen. But, you know, I want to look at Paul. And like Josh alluded to, I thought he did a wonderful job. Like he alluded to today, Paul had gone through a lot of things. Second Corinthians, as he referenced, he had been shipwrecked. He had been abandoned. He had been threatened by everybody and anybody. He, his life was in jeopardy, yet he was still in love with God. He was still fully connect to him, connected to him. And I believe the book of Philippians is an amazing read. And yes, I know I'm supposed to say that because it's in the Bible. But, but outside of that, I, I also believe it's an amazing read. And you just get to see the joy of Paul's heart on these pages. His love he had for the church, regardless of his circumstances. I mean, because by worldly standards, Paul was at a low point. Paul was in jail not knowing what his fate could be. Yet we see him joyfully enduring. So much so that he took the time 
to write a letter to friends to help them out. And towards the end of this letter, he, he starts thanking the church in Philippi for the gifts and, that they had just sent him. And he tells them this, Philippians 4, verse 10, we're going to start in verse 13. It says, I, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. Paul was a man whose life was full of many spiritual highs and in very many spiritual lows. Yet through all this, he had figured out the secret to being content. And we know it's a secret because if we look at our lives now, we have to ask ourselves, do we know how to be content in all circumstances? Some of us maybe. Others of us, definitely not. But before we dive into this, there's something that stood out to me as I read this passage. Paul says, I've learned the secret. It wasn't something that just one day showed up to him and he knew. God divined it and all of a sudden he had figured it out. No, he says, I learned it. He took time and made an effort to uncover what he needed to find true peace. True peace cannot be accomplished unless there is an effort put in to achieve that status. You will not find peace unless you make the effort to look for it. Many of us are looking for peace by sitting at home alone in our bedroom. You're not going to find it there. We do the normal tendency, the daily routine, kind of the worldly lifestyle. We're hoping that through our worldly lifestyle, peace will magically Show up because this is the American dream. And you know what? It doesn't and it never will. Many of you, including me, are a part of a generation that are not really a fan of hard work. Okay, maybe it's just me. Okay, so my generation is not really a fan of hard work. If a solution to our problem will take more effort than just Googling it, we usually don't care enough to solve that problem. That's uh, not there. All right, I'm all right. That's, that's kind of our nature. But in order for Paul to uncover this secret, he had to take the time to learn. He had to put in the effort so he could find true peace. Many has claimed that we want to find peace in God. But my question is, are you willing to put in the work that will allow you to do that? Will you? I mean, you say you want to, but do you really want to? Because I promise you this, you won't find peace just by waiting on the Lord. God's got it right here. He wants to hand it to you. But you got to come get it. You got to walk towards it. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. But you've got to come retrieve it. Action is required on our part. And so what I want to do for the second part of this lesson is I just want to look at what that means. So I think, what does God 
want from us? And so number one, I think God wants us to have a content mindset. Philippians 4.13, at the end of what we just read, Paul says, I can do all things, all of this, through him who gives me strength. Sorry, I was quoting the 1984 version, okay? I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Paul believed he could do all things, all of it, through Christ. He believed it. Not he believed it when it was convenient. Not he believed it when things were good. He believed he could do all things all the time because he had Christ who was strengthening him. And and like I mentioned earlier, Paul wasn't in a great spot here. He's writing this letter from jail. And think the big picture. Why is he in jail? For doing what Jesus asked him to do. (laughs) Hey, God, I've done what you told me to do. Anytime you want to let me out now so I can keep working, that would be wonderful. I mean, he just, he changed his life. He's doing what God's required of him. And yet his worldly standpoint was not what we would look at and say successful. Now, I remember asking myself as I read this first time, why was Paul so happy? He's in jail. You know, maybe... Maybe you, you're content. Yes, I believe I'm content. God loves me. But I'm frustrated. I, I'm frustrated at my situation. I'm frustrated at, you know, maybe the chains are too tight. I'm just frustrated. Not Paul. He learned the secret. Now, I'd probably find myself questioning Jesus in these moments. Jesus, I'm, I'm doing what you've asked me to do. Jesus, I, I've literally obeyed everything. One day I, I hung out on, you know, a big body of water certain to die for you. And I knew it. Yet, you continue to put me through these rough circumstances. Why? All I've ever done was try to love you. Yet you look at Paul here, and he had the mindset. He was happy. I strongly believed he was happy because he understood who he was doing it for. I'm so grateful for what Ben shared today. It's understanding Jesus. Understanding the reason we do it and how much Jesus loves us. And so, yes, because I know how much Jesus loves me, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever. I'm willing to be in any situation so that I can continue to please him. And I believed Paul understood more than anything else. He was a child of God. Yeah. He understood that. You know, too often I think we get caught up with our identifiers that the world labels us with. By the world's definition, I have, I have many identifiers. I'm a white male. I'm a straight man. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a Red Sox fan. Amen. <clears throat> I'm an adult most of the time. <clears throat> I'm a preacher. I'm a sinner. I'm whatever the world has labeled me to be. But you know what I've realized? In God's eyes, none of this matters. None of that matters to God. If we're going to find true contentment, there's only one identifier that we should actually care about. One thing we should make an effort to obtain. And that is that I am a child of God. And I'm going to live as the scriptures have called me to live so that I can maintain my status as a child of God. Too often we're focused on all the other prestigious things that we believe are prestigious. 
God cares nothing about those things. He just wants you. He wants all of you because he loves you so much. You know, I look at all three of my daughters and all of them have things they, they, they deal with, they wrestle with, their emotions. You know, my, my middle child, who I love to use as an example because she is so out there in a way that she just, look at me in a good way. She's like, this is who I am. She's such a big personality. And, you know, it's, it's funny because if, if she doesn't feel like that needs getting met, she'll shrink because she feels like she's not being who she's supposed to be. And it's sad. Like Kelly and I were talking the other day and she'll put on this big performance. She'll walk out, she'll dance and she'll, she'll twirl. And then if she stubs her toe, she'll run into the room and she'll just start crying because she feels like for whatever reason, she's let mom and dad down and she didn't do a perfect job. And it's so sad to watch because obviously we don't feel that way. But in her mind, she's made it up to, I have got to be perfect. You don't. Because we do the same thing. God, I got to be perfect. I get it. No, God just wants you to be a child of his. And he wants you to hold on tightly to his hand. But he does want you to walk and grab it. He wants a relationship with you. So why are we still sitting at home alone as opposed to searching for him? Why are we living our life in fear that we're not good enough when God's already told you you are? He loves you. He wants you. But we've got to make the effort by following the scriptures to come and be with him. None of our identifiers matter to God except being called one of his sons or daughter. You know, Peter writes, he says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are people belonging to me, to God. You're royalty in his eyes. I believe we've got to do a better job of believing that. When God says something, oftentimes we believe it, but with a grain of salt. Eh, In most circumstances. No, all the time when you are with God, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Because he loves you and you're one of his. But then here's the catch of that. Does our life look like we're God's ambassadors? Are, are we really God's royal people? Would people look at us and go, oh yes, you must walk with God. Because God wants you so deeply to have a relationship with him. But we've got to live the life he calls us to live. You know, Jesus gives different illustrations of what it means to be with him. And he starts to paint this picture of the kingdom. And he gives a lot of examples of the kingdom, what it means to be a part of it, what it looks like. And I want to look at one. Matthew 13, verse 44 reads, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold it, and sold all he had before he bought the field. See, I think oftentimes with the kingdom mentality in living like one of God's ambassadors, sometimes it just looks weird to everybody else. And you look at this scripture, what did he do? He sold everything to buy a field. He was making an investment in land. And more than likely, it was just probably desert. It's like, you're making a bad investment here. But you could just see him. Oh, yeah, okay. No, no, he knew more. He had a secret. He was willing to risk everything because he knew what he would get in return. Yeah. I look at the illustration, and you know people were probably questioning this man. What is he doing? What's going on in his life that he's willing to give up everything? Well, he knew what he was working towards. 
when we are a child of God and live only by that identifier, we are willing to joyfully risk everything to enter his kingdom because we know the reward is so much bigger. We understand what God is having us work towards with our lives. You know, that's very much how I picture the disciples who are living for Christ. They're willing to risk everything because they know what they're actually living for is not of this world, but for the next. And that means people are going to look at you crazy. That means people in your life are going to be confused by your decisions. And the whole time, all you're thinking about, man, if they only knew, I got a secret. And I want to tell them. But it's funny how sometimes, you, you know, if you're a type of person who doesn't like a movie spoiled for you, so when someone starts talking about the movie, you do this, or maybe you, la, 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 you plug your ears, you, you start, you just don't tell me. I think a lot of people do that with Christ because it's easier than actually not knowing. Just don't tell me. I don't want to know. I want to be surprised. Oh, I don't think you do. I don't, I don't think you do. But our mindset's got to be, I want you to know the secret. And I want my life to show you how much more we have ahead. Our mindset is crucial when it comes to being content. I think God wants us to have a great mindset. But you got to decide that this is important and this is what I want to do. And I think the second thing, we're going to only look at two things today, is we've got to be content with our sufferings. When we observe Jesus in his last days leading up to the cross, we, has, we see him endure many moments of suffering. We see him suffer spiritually. We see him suffer physically and emotionally. We see him go through these events and just taking every hit possible from friends, from family, betraying, physical abuse. Yet he endured it. And it's funny because we see him wrestle. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees crying out. But then we read this passage, Hebrews 12, verse 2, the second part. It says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy. Jesus joyfully went to the cross for you and me. Jesus was joyful to die for you. It didn't mean it wasn't hard. That doesn't mean he didn't suffer. You know, in fact, we saw him in that garden wrestling with this very notion. But ultimately, Jesus joyfully endured the cross because he knew what he was working towards. So the suffering he endured was worth it because he knew he needed it to find that true peace, to, to, to accomplish what he had set out to accomplish. And I got coffee the other day with a friend of mine, a, a disciple over in the East. Um, and just to speak plainly, he's all, honestly had a rough life, comparatively. Compared, I don't know who to compare. Compared to me, from a standpoint, he's had a rough life. He has two amazing children that struggle heavily with different disabilities his mom's been going through some recent health struggles that's been discouraging. Job situation is getting better, but it hasn't been great for a long time. And during a talk, he said something that just stood out to me. He said, I just cannot believe how much God has blessed me. It's like, remember all the things you just said? Mom's not doing well. Kids are kind of working through some stuff. Job's not perfect. He goes, no, no, no. I, 
I, I just cannot believe how much God has blessed me. Wow. And I go, if we switch places, I don't know if I could make that statement. Because the way he tells the story is he's got two amazing kids. He's so grateful to have a mother who loved him. He's so grateful to have a church family that supports him. He's so grateful to have a job where he can put food on the table. I'm like, it's perspective. To me, I see suffering to him. He says he sees blessings from God because it allows him to trust in God more. And I think when it comes to our sufferings, we have sufferings. We have hardships. But you've got to ask yourself, are they really hardships? Or you just have a negative attitude? Because I think at the end of the day, that's, that's the truth. For me, I'd have a negative attitude. I'd be so frustrated. God, what else do you need me to do? No, I can't tell you how much God's blessed me. It's a perspective. Understanding what God has done for our lives. For us, I think we need to make a decision to see God's love during our sufferings. To trust that God loves us even though things look a little bit more difficult than they should right now. And I think too often we allow the world to tell us how we're supposed to feel about certain situations instead of just trusting God and his plan. There's a passage in Genesis where God is walking the garden with Adam and Eve and and they have just eaten from the tree that they were not supposed to eat from. And and here we want to look at this passage. It says in uh, Genesis 3 verse 9, it says, The Lord God called to the man, called to Adam, Where are you? Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Who told you that you weren't perfect the way I made you? Who told you that you needed to be embarrassed by how you look? Who put those lies in your head? Even for us today, I believe that Satan is telling us way too many lies, and we are starting to listen to him. And you see God here in his heart. Who told you that? It's not true. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want to have a relationship with you. Who told you you weren't good enough for a relationship with God? Who told you you weren't smart enough, pretty enough? Who told you these lies? Because they're not true. Didn't God make you in his image? He made you perfect so that you could find him. And I think we've got to do a little bit of a better job of trusting God through all this. The secret of contentment is knowing that God has made you the way he wanted to make you. He has selected a time and place in which you were supposed to know him. He allows us to suffer so that we can grow closer to him and understand him more. All he wants is to connect with you. We just need to make a decision that we're going to connect with him. We're going to stop listening to the lies that he's told us. We're going to stop listening to the lies that the world tells us. And we're going to trust in God and his plan. You know, when I started my lesson uh, today, as I close here, I mentioned the times in my life where I felt more special than anybody else. It's those moments in in which I had a secret, in which I felt like I had more knowledge or, or more information than anybody else. You know, it's interesting today, we do have a secret. We have something that makes us just a little bit better, to speak plainly. It's, it's God. 
It's nothing we've done. It's nothing we've earned. It's God. We have the secret of contentment. So my challenge to you as I close is for you to start making an effort to find it. Amen? Amen. Thank you.